Michael O'Sullivan, you're an Irish Jesuit. You're also the director of SPIRE, the Spirituality Institute for Research and Education in Ireland, and recently organised a very successful conference in the Southeastern Technology University in Waterford. Now, you wear many hats, so you organised that conference. What hat were you wearing then? Because I know you also lecture in uh, Waterford and you have many other titles to your name. Yes, it was the seventh biennial conference of the International Network for the Study of Spirituality and it was held for the first time outside the UK when it was held in Southeast Technological University in Waterford in May. Uh, I'm a member of the Executive Committee of the International Network for the Study of Spirituality and also Marisha's Senior Lecturer at Southeast Technological University. So I was very well positioned then to bring this conference to the University in Waterford and to run it on behalf of INSS. And that's how what I was then the conference chair and lead organiser for that reason. So tell me about the conference then. What is the general vision of the conference? And then we look specifically at what the lectures and what happened over that weekend. Uh, it was formerly the INSS, as it's for its short name, International Network for Study of Spirituality. It was originally the British Association for the Study of Spirituality, BASS, BAS, and then it became in 2020 the INSS. And I suppose it's fair to say, really, that I had a certain amount to do with that because I was the first ever Irish person elected onto the board, which was a UK board up to then. And I've stressed the need for us really to go international more. And we then eventually, especially with Brexit, after Brexit, I think it was really imperative. We went for an international network for the study of spirituality title for ourselves. And then also Robin Wrigley Carr in Australia came onto the board. So now it's a little bit more international than it was formerly. Um, but the seventh biennial conference, yeah, so that's 14 years now going. And... It was also historic because, of course, the university in Waterford is only in existence a year. And so for it to hold this conference at that time was also very significant. And I would say it was the most significant uh, international spirituality studies conference ever held in Ireland. 160 people came from all over the world, 25 countries and five continents and people working in inst- in higher education, in uh, universities, and also in the professions. So it was a very high-powered set of participants. Quite a number of our MA graduates, too, took part in the conference. And three of our graduates who are now in PhD studies with us, they presented at the conference and chaired sessions. So that, too, was wonderful. And it was a wonderful experience for them to meet these scholars and practitioners from around the world, as it was for them to meet our, our, our graduates. So tell us about the topics that they covered. Yeah, it was very wide ranging. I mean, spirituality now is a really global phenomenon. It's spreading into every area of life, in every profession, in every area of lived experience. And it's become a subject of great interest to people, partly, I suppose, because at least in the Western world anyway, there's been a bit of a disaffection with, let's say, institutional religion, with theology, with church for various reasons. Uh, And people are turning to spirituality as a place where they find greater hospitality to do the journey of life which as spiritual beings really we need to do. I mean, Marlon Brando's words when he was dying were, you know, what was all that about? And I think that question is there in everyone's mind and heart throughout their lives. What is all my life about? So I think that testifies to the spiritual core in the person. And we need to be trying to answer those questions as we live our lives and hope to have our lives live in such a way that they are an an adequate answer to that question. And uh, we had people from healthcare, from social work, from education, from business, from leadership, uh, all over, from Australia, uh, Singapore, Myanmar, Thailand, the United States, of course, um, the UK, 
Ireland, of course, uh, then parts of Europe, Germany, the Netherlands, Spain, Malta. So that would just give you an idea of the interest there is in spirituality across the world, really, and in all these areas of life. Healthcare is a big area now in spirituality, and perhaps that's understandable because that's where a lot of questions about the meaning of life perhaps arise for people when they run into health challenges and health issues. But it's it's spreading into other every, every area as well now. There were five keynote speakers: Jonathan Wooding from Australia, but now based in Wales, and Cheryl Hunt from the University of Exeter. And then there was John Swinton from the University of Aberdeen. And there was Neve Brennan, who is an independent scholar, but lectures in our MA program here in Dublin. And also myself. And I focus my own paper on authentic subjectivity as a methodology for the study of spirituality. And basically what I was trying to say there is, is that um, self-attention discloses that there is in each human being uh, an inherent orientation towards beauty, truth, goodness and love. I mean, this can be discovered through self-attention affirmed to be the case. So it's not just an idea, but it can be discovered through a lived practice of self-attention to oneself when engaged in knowing and choosing. And that the call, really, if you like, from the core of the person engaged in knowing and choosing is to be faithful to this orientation to what I call authenticity, which is the orientation to be guided by a desire for beauty, truth, goodness and love in every living situation and for one's life. And you can study people's lives and situations and that in those terms. I gave, for example, Karl Marx, who people might think of initially as somebody who might be a subject for spirituality studies. But this was trying to show too, you know, that um, spirituality studies like it really reaches out to all resources and materials for its study. And so, for example, the example of Karl Marx, in the, when he was only 17 years of age, he wrote an essay saying that the greatest vocation for the human being is to live for the welfare of humanity and that when you do that, no burdens will bend us because they will be sacrifices made for the good of all. So I was trying to say here that this was an example to me of this desire for authenticity in him, the desire to live for the welfare of humanity was an expression in him of this desire to live faithful to uh, authenticity. And then he, you can read his life and his works, his writings and all that in that light and see how is he f- doing that in what he's writing and what he's doing. You can also examine then, of course, to what extent perhaps is he not living faithfully to that uh, desire in him. And so, you know, you have a way then, you have a methodology for reading lives and reading texts and studying texts and studying lives in that light, the light of how is the desire for authenticity, which can be discovered to be absolutely the case in a human being, being expressed as the person lives out their life through the various things they do and their writings and whatever. And so everybody can be studied this life, doesn't mean So spirituality, spiritual reading, I remember it was in the novitiate, in the Jesuits in the novitiate, we had a certain amount of time in the day set aside for spiritual reading. And spiritual reading, of course, consisted of reading books that were very clearly spiritual books, like the lives of saints and so on. But my point is that what makes reading spiritual is not so much the material that's being read, but how you're doing the reading. So you can read anything, but if you read it in a certain way, you can be engaging in a spiritual practice. So what Uh, is that way? The way then is to see like to what extent is authenticity being expressed through the work like what I mentioned there about Karl Marx. So I read him and I'm reading him trying to see where can I see the evidence of a desire for authenticity being expressed by him in his writings and then try and track and see how he actually tries to live it out and so on as he goes on in his life. And so you're reading with that kind of orientation of consciousness to a text 
And that, to me, then, is a spiritual reading of the text, because I would understand spirituality, ultimately, as being about the desire to be an authentic human being in this life. And by authentic, I don't just mean, you know, being a sincere person. I mean, Hitler could be said to be a sincere person, but that's not being authentic. Authentic, for me, is correlative with the desire to really live in accordance with the demands, if you like, of beauty, truth, goodness and love. And that is expressed in, in, in different ways. For example, when you're attending at the level of experiencing we attend. And when we're experiencing and therefore attending at the level of experiencing, being authentic means attending to all the relevant data. So I'm being spiritual, if you like, if I'm actually really guided by a desire and a commitment to attend to all the relevant data when I'm experiencing. And as we know, there are pressures in us and all that to try not to do that. And then I'm being authentic at the level of understanding, which is another level distinct from experiencing. Uh, when I'm asking questions about the data I have attended to and trying to understand the data and asking questions about and making interpretations. But then I find that I have to push on because under- not every understanding may be true. So you have to push on to trying to make a judgment and therefore then authenticity is the level of judging is about weighing up the different interpretations because you really want to reach the one that's more likely or actually true. And then of course once you reach the level of truth and at the level of judging the authenticity in the person and self-attention discloses this moves you to ask yourself gosh, now what do I do about what I've come to know? So there's a push on to actually put the knowledge into practice. And um, there again, you know, there's always resistances in, in each of those steps. But the path to authenticity is the path to try and transcend the difficulties and the resistances and the pressures and the oppositions to where you believe the desire for authenticity and commitment to it in you is leading you. So how to retext with all that in mind? <laughs> I'm fascinated by the Marx example that you gave because it is quite powerful what he said there. And yet it seems to me that any time communism, absolute Marxism has been put into practice, it always ends up being a bit of a disaster for ordinary people. Is there a step along his way that you think Marx failed in the authenticity? I mean, is it about religion being the opium of the people? Was that a bit simplistic yes. and trite? You can see what he's saying, mm. and yet he didn't really maybe take the full picture into account of what mm. religion really means for many people. Yeah, well, it's understandable in his day that he turned against Christianity because he lived at a time in history when in a part of the world where the ruler thought he was divinely ordained to rule. But quarter of Trier, where Marx grew up, was living in poverty and on public alms. And this is upset a person like Marx because of his desire for the welfare of humanity to be characteristic of how people lived out their lives. And so for him, the ruler of Prussia claiming to be divinely ordained, but not really seemingly caring about all this kind of situation that uh, was there, made him ask real questions about Christianity and to ask, you know, how can we go on believing in a Christianity that doesn't seem to care enough about people, as at least evidenced by the ruler? ruler who claims to be divinely ordained in his ruling. And so he t- he came to believe that, as he called it, that God is a cold God and that we are apes of a cold God and that we are chained, eternally chained by this cold God and that we need to break free of our chains. And for him, it meant having to move away from Christianity. 
But you could say now that after liberation, theology and spirituality, which came on years after him, which wasn't available to him to consider, I think he would have been very surprised to see all the people who became martyrs even for the sake of a liberation, theology and spirituality faiths, which happened in Latin America, and that he just would not have anticipated could happen because he could never see Christianity going in that direction. But once you are aware that it can and did and has, then you have to reconsider, you know, Marx's position and say, well, you know, we can go along with his desire for the welfare of humanity. But now we can see, too, that Christianity has resources that can actually really serve that uh, commitment, that desire. And in that sense, wouldn't you take you beyond Marxism? Back to the conference, and that that was part of your talk at the conference. Um, Are the talks available either online or can people wait till they are published? How do they access the various talks on the whole variety of Mm. topics that you spoke of? Well, the five keynotes are already up on YouTube on the Spirituality Institute for Research and Education website, our website, and the intention is to have them also up on the website of the International Network for the Study of Spirituality. So at least the keynotes will be available for people to listen to. And now, obviously, the parallel sessions, we didn't record all those. That wasn't really feasible to do all that. But we do have the abstracts of all those parallel sessions in the program guidebook. And I can send that to people. I can send a Word document version of the programme guidebook, we call it that. And through reading the presentations, at least people would get some idea of what went on also in the parallel sessions. Just looking at yeah. some of the titles here and some of the sessions, so you, you, Spirituality and Nursing, Connecting the Holy and Human Spirit in Our Work and World, and then Reflections Prompted by a Qualitative Evidence Synthesis of Women's Experiences of Spirituality in Childbirth, another Repairing the World in Mystical Judaism, another one Glowing Through Grief, Widowhood as a Catalyst for Spiritual Development. I mean, there's loads of topics covered here, Michael. There is. Well, we had 82 presentations at the conference, and we didn't accept every presentation that was offered, but we tried to accept as many as we could. And and, uh, so there's quite an array there, as you you draw attention to. Like, for example, with spirituality and health, one of the things I would have said in my own presentation, linking it up with, say, spirituality and health and authenticity, is that, you know, you can be a professional with all kinds of competence, let's say medical competence and that. And I cited, for example, my when I worked as a missionary in Chile, the Chilean regime, the Pinochet regime, had doctors working for it to kind of say, how far can we go with the torture? And trying to see how to torture people in ways that might and leave marks or that wouldn't actually result in dying in captivity. And so you had there people with professional knowledge, but using it in that way. And my point was, look, if you're going to be an authentic professional, if you're going to bring authentic subjectivity into your professional practice, then you will want your professional practice to serve what is truly beautiful, good, truthful and, and, and loving. And that is not an example of that, what was going on in Chile at the time. So I was trying to make the distinction between, you know, it's not enough for people to be trained to a very high level of their professional knowledge and skill and whatever, you also have to ask about the person of the medical doctor, let's say, or the person of the nurse. What kind of person are they? Are they a person who really wants their capacities, their professional training to serve the well-being of people through what's really for their beauty, for their truth, for their goodness and for their love? 
another one, nature is nurture, eco spirituality. Ah, yes. In times of eco grief, that sounds interesting also. Yes, yes. You see, we've moved now into a great concern for the planet as well, of course, and we need to. And how can spirituality offer to planetary concern? So, you know, people are turning to spirituality in the face of all the different contemporary issues that are there and asking, what can spirituality offer to these contemporary issues that we're living with today and finding that it can offer a lot? Another one on mysticism. A lot of people love the 14th century mystics and the story yeah. and wisdom of that. Yes, there was good attendance for the mysticism sessions. And, you know, I suppose a point to make is that the International Network for the Study of Spirituality, it's not necessarily religiously affiliated at all. Now, that's not to say that it's closed to religious affiliation and religious traditions. It's not. But it tries to have an approach to the study of spirituality where everybody can feel at home, whether they're humanist or religious spiritual but not religious whatever so that's why again my own approach through authenticity is trying to find a language and a framework that can allow everybody to be in part of the journey and then for some the desire for authenticity will lead them to uh, enter into religious tradition or if they're there already it may strengthen them in their religious tradition so that being authentic and being religiously affiliated can go together but they don't go together for everybody but there is a big interest now in contemplative studies and more writing is coming out on contemplative studies, and that's interesting also. And you see, I, the Ignatian spirituality about finding God in all things, uh, finding God in all reality, that's a very contemplative orientation to life. And if you're living your life with a belief that God can be found wherever you are or with whomever you are, you're living very contemplatively because you're all the time living with an awareness uh, that this can be the case, that you might have an encounter with God at some level in this conversation, in this situation, in this reading of a text or whatever. And so you bring a contemplative mindset and heart set to all that you do and all that you are. And that people are picking up on this now, you know. I think, for example, of Thomas Berry, who one day, 11 years of age, was walking in a meadow and he had an experience of the meadow where he said that it became the touchstone for all of his life. He said whatever after that related well to that meadow, he could go with them, whatever opposed it, he wouldn't. You know, there was a religious experience in nature, walking in nature, but he was able to be in nature in a way where that experience could happen for him. And I think if we try and live our lives in a state of consciousness that's kind of open like that, all sorts of surprising things can happen. I I don't mind mentioning, for example, that when I was doing a a retreat in my early years in the Jesuits, in Manresa House in Dollymont. I was walking the grounds one day and there were women and men doing the retreat. We were all young. And I met this young woman and we actually had a few words with each other. I mean, it was largely a silent retreat. We had some words. And, you know, after a while, I really, and this was amazing now, and it has influenced me ever since, I suddenly got an insight. You know, this the way this woman is listening to me is the way God listens to me as well. And I got a great insight through how God attends to me, through my experience of how this woman was listening to me. And it made me aware always, ever afterwards, that women, I mean, of course they are, but women can be revelatory of God. And this has informed my stances in favor of women, the ordination of women, and so on, ever since, after, ever afterwards. You are involved in the MA in Applied Spirituality, which is a one-year program. Are you still taking people for this year, or is that all closed or what's the situation because that takes place here in Milton Park in, in Dublin. Mm. It is accredited by the Waterford Institute and well it's now the Southeast Technological yes. University. Exactly. Just a word about that before yeah. we finish. 
Yes, I was the program director, program leader of that MA program for 16 years. Uh, it has now passed to Noelia Molina, and it's still running after 21 years. It was begun, really, you could say, by Bernadette Flanagan back in the time at the Milton Institute here in Dublin. So it's been running all those years, and it's been very successful. And, yeah, we're nearly full for this year. We take about 18 people every year. We tend to kind of, that tends to be our ceiling, because... The programme really is not just about shoving numbers into classrooms. It's the kind of it's a community of co-learners and it needs to be at a certain number for that to be the case. If it goes too big, that's harder to maintain. And so 18 tends to be our cut off number. We're not quite at 18 yet, but uh, we're getting there. So if anybody really was interested in doing the programme, even for 23, 24, it's still possible. But they would want to contact us very quickly at this stage. Now, as I say, Noelia Molina is the now the programme leader herself Bernadette and myself are the programme leadership team but you, they can contact any one of us Noelia's email would be noelia.molina m-o-l-i-n-a at s-e-t-u Southeast Technological University s-e-t-u dot i-e and Noelia then is n-o-e-l-i-a she's Spanish Noelia Molina at s-c-t-u dot i-e or you can get Bernadette Flanagan or myself Bernadette dot Flanagan at s-e-t-u dot i-e or michael.osullivan at sctu.ie and we'd be very happy to hear from people but I would encourage them we're now in June so we're near the cut off point Michael thanks very much for that and for going through what seems to have been a really wonderful conference in the Southeast Technological University a first for Ireland and hopefully not a last Ah yes it was it was a wonderful conference I have to say the feedback has been absolutely terrific and I'm really delighted and I want to congratulate all my colleagues as well in SCTU people in the catering people in estates who looked after getting rooms for us for the conference all the various aspects that we attended to they were all wonderful it was a wonderful collaborative effort all round and I'm really really grateful to everybody who contributed to make it such a success and especially of course to all our participants who came from all over the world